It's Wednesday, so you've got me. I'm Carousel Baird. Hey, you can listen to me any day of the week. You can listen online at WRTFM.org, at the A Public Affair podcast, or on the WORT smartphone app. If you like what you hear, click the donate button and support community media. Your donation makes a huge difference. Six foot six above sea level. I grab the mic because I like to take you to another mental level. Hello, everybody, and welcome to A Public Affair. It's Wednesday, so that means you've got me. I'm Carousel Baird, and I want to remind you, you are listening to volunteer-powered, listener-sponsored community radio, WORT 89.9 FM, Madison. And today is the start of a series of shows I'm so excited and honored to have conversations with all of the candidates that are running to be the next United States Senator for the wonderful state of Wisconsin. We have been talking about candidates and so many races and this is the statewide race that we get to feature on the show. So for the next several weeks we'll be talking this jam-packed primary on the Democratic and Republican side and we'll get to as many people as we can and let's just Stop my babbling because we don't want to hear from me. We want to hear from the candidates. Kicking us off our first conversation, we have the Wisconsin current Wisconsin State Treasurer, Sarah Godlewski. Hello, Sarah. Thank you for joining us. Hello, Carousel. Well, thanks for having me. It's always uh, great to be here. It's wonderful to be here, uh, to have you here. And um, I got to know you because I met you first when you were traveling the state campaigning for a presidential race that I got to know you. Uh, and that's just sort of my image of you. Is I see you traveling and speaking uh, across the state. That that really is part of your home these days, right? Well, it's funny, Carousel, because when I um, got in this election, one of the first things I did was I went on a statewide tour. Mm -hmm. Um, and I went on over a 1700 mile tour across the state. So we were even in places like Rhinelander and Superior. And I came home after being gone for a few days and my husband's like, well, did you miss me? And I, he was like, you just seem so happy. And I was, he's like, oh, I forgot the campaign is your happy place. So, um, yeah, no, look, I think it's a real privilege to be able to travel the state, listen Mm -hmm. to people and, um, you know, hopefully be a part of the change that we need desperately against Ron Johnson. Yeah. Well, so talk to us about your vision and why you've decided to run for U.S. Senate. Well, honestly, Karis, I never thought that I would be doing anything like this. You know, I was uh, sitting in the basement of the state treasurer's office. As, as <laughs> I've some been people in that know. office. I've been there. Yes. I, I like to call it the garden level. Um, but, yep. uh, you know, we were doing smart things. I mean, one of the first things I did was overturn a Republican gag order. And we started investing in climate change um, and like, you know, renewable energy. But uh, for me, this really kind of aha moment came during the pandemic. So remember, at one point, 1.2 million Wisconsinites couldn't pay their bills. Mm -hmm. And our state legislature, thanks to folks like Robin Voss, decided to take a 300-day vacation. Remember this? Like, they just didn't do anything. They did nothing, right. They were the least active state legislature in the entire country. And so for me, I'm like, okay. I'm going to have to be scrappy with my executive authority to help people. Um, And so, you know, we did innovative things like start a foreclosure prevention fund to keep people in their homes. And one of the first group of people that I called Carousel was actually teachers. And they were telling me how students were driving to the McDonald's parking lot to join the McDonald's Wi-Fi to participate in their math class, which is, I mean, horrifying. And so for the first time, I oversee a $1.3 billion fund that benefits our public schools. We actually provided a special distribution um, one month into the pandemic to buy hotspots and e-learning books and help with distance learning. And, you know, I'm doing all of these kind of scrappy things to help folks during the pandemic and reaching out to Ron Johnson. It's like he's taking a private plane and getting on the Senate floor and saying Wisconsinites don't need any help. And I'm like, is this guy nuts like how can he say that and you know carissa i will also say like that was kind of the the other piece that really was this kind of aha moment is um you know the cares act package that was the first package that we got to help address covid yes and when i saw that delta airlines got more money than childcare, i'm like 
this is a part of the problem. You know, we need more working moms at that U.S. Senate table. And so for me, I, you know, I was talking about it with my husband and he's like, you know, Sarah, I actually think you can beat this guy. And I'm like, wait, really? And he, he reminded me, he's like, you know, you flipped his county, which is a really tough county to flip in 2018. And, you know, it was me and Tammy Baldwin um, and Doug LaFollette. They were the two people that flipped that county. And so he's like, that's, I think you could do this. And, you know, the next thing, you know, I'm like, look, no one's going to tap me on the shoulder. And if this is something I believe in, you just got to jump in. And as my grandma would say, Carousel, you don't ask for permission. You ask for forgiveness. Right. And that's exactly what I did and got in this race. Well, and I appreciate that um, if you go to your website and you look at the ads and I, I see your things pop up on Facebook and all of that, you really sort of talk about, you know, the struggles of working parents, working moms, working families, and that that perspective that you have, we were talking just before the show about our, our lovely children and how we adore them and, and you know, suffer with them at times. Yes. <laughs> and the talk to us about that perspective and that importance of really bringing that voice. Do you feel like it's lacking in the U.S. Senate? I, I do. I mean, let's just look at a few issues, right? Mm-hmm. So when we were talking about Build Back Better, what were the issues that became political footballs? It was affordable childcare. Right. And we know 54% of our state care cell are in childcare deserts. I mean, they either don't have access or they can't afford it. So what are working parents supposed to do? Um, and then a lot of times it yeah. falls on women to then quit their job to, to take care of it. So, you know, that's like example one or paid family leave. I mean, we saw how critical having paid sick leave and paid family leave during the pandemic. And yet we're, we weren't able to get it done in the Senate. So I think that's like example number two. And then we saw even like, let's talk about Roe v. Wade carousel. Like just very candidly, I mean, we've had 50 years to codify this 50 years. And yet I think part of the reason why we're now waiting for the 11th hour is that we need more pro-choice Democratic women at that U.S. Senate table to be prioritizing this stuff. To realize, I mean, I think that's a really good point is so many times laws, a piece of it goes forward, right? We have Roe v. Wade. Woo! Phew! We've got that, right? That was the lovely year I was born in 1973. You know, I haven't known a life without, you know, respect and protection for my reproductive freedom. But it takes people that are really impacted by the issue to realize that even when a law is passed, there still needs to be more work done to fortify it. it yes. And I think that's exactly why, you know, I'm quite frustrated even with our own party about this, because we have had times even, Carousel, where, you know, Democrats have had the White House, the House and the Senate. Why didn't we get this done? Mm-hmm. And I think it's because, you know, like, we needed our voice because we think about this stuff all the time. I mean, I was talking with my mom and she's like, look, it's crazy to think, Sarah, that my children and my grandchildren might have fewer rights than me. Right. What kind of world they will. Yep. is this? Yep. Yes. My children will struggle in a way that and have uh, life and death situations, literally, that were never part of our life. Yeah, it's scary. It's scary. So I want to focus back on the innovative work that you did you talked about you know at the start of our conversation about okay well i know i'm just i'm i'm just the uh you know uh state treasurer but i have power and i'm going to use it how how important is the ability to sort of you know work between the systems to get things done at the state uh and and at the federal level, the work that you've done at the state level, when you're up against barriers and you're like, well, we're just going to figure out a way to move around them. Is that uh, an important skill that you want to bring to this uh, federal level? I mean, to me, it's absolutely because we know now oftentimes we're more divisive than ever. And so it's how can we kind of work within, I think, current systems and structures and be creative um, in ways that really push the needle. And let's lo- use like climate change as an example. Okay. Here. So, I mean, when I told people that, you know, look, like that has been a key um, area that we have really made progress. They're like the state treasurer. You've really made 
like push the needle on climate change. And I said, look, like, as I mentioned, when I walked into my office, there was a gag order where I couldn't even like talk about climate change as it related to investments, let alone invest in like renewable energy projects for public schools. And when we overturned that gag order, one of the things we did is started reaching out to smaller communities because putting solar panels on public buildings is expensive. And Hmm. so what we did is we said, hey, you know what? Like in the town of Washburn, we said, we will help finance these solar panels for you because you don't have the tax base to necessarily do that. And the federal government isn't going to give you enough money. So why don't we help you do that? And so we put solar panels on this wastewater treatment plant. It's going to cut their bills significantly. And then on top of that, they're working towards becoming carbon neutral. And oh, by the way, Carousel, on the same time, they're creating a new revenue stream because they're putting green credentials on the electric grid. And so this is just a win, win, win. And now we're replicating that, you know, like we put solar panels on a building in Ashland and we're doing more of that across the state, but it's been us working um, in collaboration with these smaller communities to make that happen. How can, so, how can you use that experience, especially from, you know, your work as the treasurer, when you think about uh, stimulating the economy and making sure that not just having all these good policies that you talk about, childcare and family medical leave, but financially, what, what can you do to move the economy forward? I mean, so one of one of the committees, Carousel, I would love to serve on is the Senate Armed Services Committee. Okay, and people are always kind of shocked by that. So I actually, um, you know, I was uh, worked. I supported the Pentagon for almost a decade, and the one thing that really frustrated me is that you know I will use the solar system as an example. Um, The defense system, the defense budget is like the sun, and education is like Venus, or you know the environment is Pluto as far as our spending. (laughs) And we are so wasteful. And there's are ways that we can actually use the defense budget, I think, to start, for example, getting rid of PFAS. I mean, they are a main polluter in these forever chemicals in our water. Well, if we cut their budget to actually be able to spend that money, that would be a win-win, you know? And that would be critical for Wisconsin. We're a freshwater state. We're seeing this in our rivers. We're seeing this in our lakes. To literally thinking through how we can, you know, that budget actually is used a lot of times for medical innovation and helping whether it's addressed like cancers or different, you know, like health issues. And so I think we can be really smart and a making sure that that budget is diverted to actually places that we need because it should better reflect our values. And that is something that I think would be a really good way to kind of be creative, leveraging that authority and moving the needle on it. We're talking right now with Sarah Godlewski, currently the Wisconsin State Treasurer and one of the candidates running for United States Senate for the state of Wisconsin. Um, So, Sarah, talk to us about there's so many hot issues and hot topics that have, you know, risen to the forefront. I want to ask you your thoughts on gun control and and gun legislation. And um, I must say that Senator Ron Johnson has said some things that uh, have just as someone that has been sitting crying, it's, I know, you know, I'm not alone. The majority of America has. Um, and his words were not just tone deaf, but hurtful, hurtful, just clueless as to how people really feel about the need to keep themselves and their families safe. What are solutions that you see for gun control in uh, Wisconsin and the U.S.? Well, and, and this comes back to, I think, something, Carousel, where this is just, I mean, common sense gun legislation is what Wisconsinites want. I mean, 80% of Wisconsinites want common sense gun legislation like background checks or red flag laws or removing high capacity magazines. Um, You know, the question I often get is why do we need weapons of war in our community? And that's exactly right. I mean, it should be harder to buy an AR-15 than it is buying alcohol. But that's now not true in the state of Wisconsin. Yeah. Um, so this is where I think, honestly, something that we've got to talk a lot about is money in politics, because Ron Johnson gets one point two million dollars from the NRA. I mean, it's clear he's not working for us. He's working for the NRA because if he did work for us, he would do something that 80 percent of Wisconsinites want. 
And we're talking even 70% of gun owners. Um, you know, I was talking with my family, like we, we grew up in a family of hunters and they're like, why do you need like a high capacity magazine to shoot your deer? Like don't. go back to target practice. I mean, this is ridiculous. And so, um, I just think it's a really clear, uh, parallel between, you know, Ron Johnson clearly is not working for his constituents. He's working for, um, the NRA in this instance. How do you get all of that level of of money out of the political system? Or is it inevitable that the money is part of the system? We just need individuals that will stand up for values regardless of who their funders are. I mean, I, I absolutely think we've got to get rid of money in politics. And I think this goes back to one of the first things I talk about I'd want to do in the U.S. Senate is going back to protect democracy. And in protecting democracy, it includes, yes, we got to get rid of the filibuster, but by getting money out of politics, we're looking at, you know, the fact that Citizens United allows corporations to be considered people is a problem. Yeah. And we've got to change that in the law and not let the Supreme Court drive that interpretation um, to literally uh, making sure that we're also not kicking voters off the rolls like we've seen in Milwaukee to going back to awful partisan gerrymandering in our state. And so to me, this is the heart of, we've got to get this done now more than ever, because if nothing is a reminder that we're seeing on television right now, Carousel with the January 6th insurrection hearings, I mean, like we thought Nixon was bad and I think it is nothing compared to what we are seeing now. And it's, it's horrifying. It is pretty intense what's happening, and it is really scary. And how do you then get things done? What I find so interesting is preparing for my conversation with you today and with all the U.S. Senate candidates. I do a lot of great conversations with state representatives and state senators and ask them a lot, how do you get things done with Republicans in charge? Uh, And... I am finding myself almost asking the same question for our U.S. senators, uh, and yet the Democrats are in charge of everything, and yet we're still bumping our heads. Yeah. Is You mentioned the filibuster. Is the filibuster a, a, a big piece of it? Um, because I think sometimes people forget how much the U.S. House of Representatives moves forward, and then it gets to the U.S. Senate, and it just dies right there. I mean, I think the filibuster is this antiquated process that is stopping progress from happening in the Senate. Like Mm -hmm. the Senate is where things go to die when it comes to legislation. And when you think about it, it doesn't make sense. Like, why can't we allow a simple majority to rule this country? I mean, we run that way in every in every other possible aspect. And so why does the Senate have to be this one exception? And it's interesting, Carousel, because when I travel the state, the one thing I do hear a lot of from people is they're like, Sarah, why does the Senate not get anything done? And then when I talk about this, you know, archaic 60 senator rule that's required to move anything forward onto President Biden's desk, it's like, wait, not 51? And you're like, no, 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 no. It's actually right. 60 senators. And and what and it's 60 senators just to move forward, even not to debate something. And I think that this is a huge um you know, uh, issue for Americans, because at the very least, like, allow us to move forward and debate things publicly. Like, let's hear these conversations, for example, like a majority of Wisconsinites want gun control. And let's talk about what that looks like. But until we get rid of the filibuster, it's going to be hard to, I think, um, move forward. And we need to let the majority rule in this country. That's a foundation. Do you think that can happen with the next you know, United States Senate and that the filibuster finally there's finally enough votes to get rid of the filibuster. I mean, I think that if you look at our current Senate makeup and the states that are in play um, in this 2022 election, I absolutely believe. And and look, if you even look at um, other states, like whether it's in North Carolina or Pennsylvania that are in play, we're all talking about getting rid of the filibuster. I mean, we are all kind of singing from the same sheet of music on this. And so I do think that this is a really big call to action um, that we have to prioritize uh, in the next uh, uh, session of the Mm -hmm. Senate. 
Sarah, what's, what's your take of the Republican Party right now? How different it is from the Republican... I grew up in a Republican household. Not that I have ever 100% agreed with my parents, but I grew up with pro-choice, pro-gay, yeah. pro-LGBT, Republican household. And uh, I mean, neither of my parents are alive anymore, but there's no way they would be in support of, you know, th- the way th- that the Republican... Uh, party exists now how do you deal with the fact that it's just become more and more extreme and those people are getting in leadership positions yeah i mean i think it is clear that um there is a party that just continues to buy into these conspiracy theories and i think you know let's even use roe v wade as an example Um, You know, you watch Fox News after the Roe decision was leaked. Fox wasn't talking about how awful this was going to be with women, you know, the impact it would have on decisions or health care rights or, you know, reproductive freedom. They were all like, oh, how could this leak the Supreme Court? Or, you know, like it was all about we've got to make sure that we're doing like it was more of a process thing. But then if you watch other news they're like more talking about the impact the of this on day-to-day lives like actually the substance about mm-hmm. it rather than the process um and sharing stories about women before roe and what they had to do to make these healthcare decisions that affected their lives and livelihood so i just think like that is even like a quick snapshot of we're talking about the same issue but really what are the pieces in which we are talking about and to me I think one thing that, you know, I have been doing is really talking about the impact that legislation has. And I think Democrats have been really looking at making sure that, you know, we we actually trust the science behind our decisions and um, use that kind of information and how we govern. And how do you in the end, um, if you are elected and get to represent the wonderful state of Wisconsin in the state uh, or in the U.S. Senate, um, Right. You represent everyone in Wisconsin, the Democrats, the Republicans. How are you going to bring everyone forward so that we're able to, you know, find some unity? I mean, that's my hope is that America somehow realizes we have more in common than than we think. Well, so it's funny, Kara. So my background actually is in peace and conflict resolution. That's Mm. what my degree is. And I will tell you, my parents can use you. I know they were like, what are you going to do with that degree, Sarah? Like, just rack up all this student debt. And um, I've just seen firsthand how important it is to be able to reach across the aisle to listen to people. And it's really at the end of the day, in my mind, it's a Venn diagram. How uh, what are the things that we can kind of come to consensus with um, to, to move the needle forward? And whether that was things that I was doing, for example, Um, in my work uh, in the federal government before to even right now. I mean, when I was elected state treasurer, I reached out to every Republican legislature to to say, how can we work together? Mm -hmm. And we, you know, they served on my retirement task force and we found a way to create child savings accounts, for example. Um, And the same is true. We had them on my homeownership task force and we found a way to help um, improve homeownership in the state. And so I do think that, you know, when we think about, there are a lot of things that unite us. Well, Sarah, it's been wonderful talking with you in our, our final minutes here. Um, can you let the listeners know how they can learn more about your campaign and perhaps see you somewhere along your trail uh, in Wisconsin? Yes. Um, so my website actually is Sarah with an H and for for Wisconsin.com. Again, that's Sarah for Wisconsin.com and something that we have been rolling out across the state is brewskis with Godlewski. So (laughs) we would um, love to see you at an upcoming brewski event. Um, But if nothing else, you know, we're a completely grassroots campaign. And, uh, you know, my door is always open. And I look forward to seeing a lot of your listeners on the trail. Well, it's been wonderful talking with you, Sarah. Thank you so much for all the work that you've done um, and are still doing as state treasurer. Thank you um, for joining us today and best of luck uh, on the rest of the campaign. Thanks, Carousel. It's so great to be here.
It's great to see you. That was Sarah Godlewski, Wisconsin State Treasurer, and again, one of the many candidates for United States Senate. And we are going to keep the conversation going. I'm really excited for our second guest here and reminding everyone, we are talking, uh, today is our first inaugural show of many talking with all the candidates running for U.S. Senate for the state of Wisconsin. The primary is Tuesday, August 9th, and there are so many. It's a jam-packed Democrat primary and uh, even a Republican primary as well. So we're going to talk to as many people as possible. And up next, I'm very excited to talk with uh, Tom Nelson, who is the current county executive for Outagamie County, uh, previously served in the Wisconsin State Legislature. Hello, Tom. Thank you so much for joining us today. Hi. Great. This is good. It's good to be on. Thanks for having the show. This is really exciting. It's great to have you. So, Tom, when I go to your website and and I look at the, the, the conversations that you're having, you are f- really focusing in on making sure that we have a voice for workers in the Wisconsin uh, in the Wisconsin delegation to the U.S. Senate. Talk to me about that that vision that you have. Sure. I mean, it's who I am. It's my core. I mean, I grew up on a blue collar neighborhood, little shoot neighborhood was called Carolyn Drive, and on that block all the dads worked at paper mills except for my dad who i'd like to say wore the white collar he was a lutheran pastor and so at a very young age i learned two very important life lessons first of all the importance of serving your neighbor and then number two and in time that there's a lot of people there out there that work hard play by the rules pay their taxes but they just don't get ahead because there's too much money and there's too much power concentrated in just a few hands so the cornerstone of my public service not just my candidacy, but also my time as state assembly as county executive has been working families and how to make life a little easier for them to put them front and center, not these big corporate interests. I'm not a millionaire. I'm not a billionaire. I just have the experience of a local official, a state official who has seen these struggles up front, whether it's been my work trying to save or successfully saving a paper mill with a local union that was about to be closed and bringing back 300 jobs. Um, and I wrote a book about it. Actually, I wrote a book about it, talking about the struggle we had and the kinds of things that we can learn from that and what we can do going forward. So um, and that's been a companion of this book. We've talked a lot about that, but also in addition to economic security issues, we talked a lot about Medicare for all and a Green New Deal. I look at these issues, not one-offs like raise the minimum wage or PROACT, all of which are very important, or a tax credit here and a tax credit there. But we need to look at this holistically, and we need long-term structural change to this. And whether it's in agriculture, yesterday I was outside of Cambridge, and I rolled out my food sovereignty plan, first of its kind among any Senate candidate in the country. We have lost 85% of our dairy farm, our small family farms, since 1980. 85 percent so there's something wrong in the system we can't be nibbling on the edges of this monster that gets larger and larger we need to go back to some semblance of price parity where farmers can get a good price regardless of where the of uh, where the where the where the market is at i mean this is not just economics and vitality of small town wisconsin but it goes to who we are our culture yes. I mean, my dad grew up on a farm he had uh four siblings And my grandfather, they had like maybe 100 cows. And that was a time when you could send five kids to college with 100 cows. I mean, (laughs) I guess the price of tuition back then was 20 cows compared to what it is right now, $60,000 a year. As I, as I prepare my teenage children for, right, when we figure out if we can afford to go on vacation, you know, <laughs> no, we cannot. Um, Tom, what I really appreciate is that everything you're talking about and your, you know, your your work in Ottagami County, your work uh, and your, your upbringing in Little Shoot, it completely tra- translates and resonates uh, for us here in Madison and in the cities, are you, are you finding that when you have these conversations that even though other elected officials like to m- sound the noise of a, a state divided, these these issues are common for everyone? Yeah, and exactly. And, you know, I'll be honest with you. I wouldn't be using this line or talking about these if I did not do a 72 county listening session tour, which I did last year, did it in 43 Woo. days. And so I learned from that that there's that the issues and concerns in the city is the same it is out in countryside, whether it's healthcare, 
You know, I mean, people don't have adequate health insurance in the city, so they can't walk across the street to a health clinic. If you're in Tigerton, you have to drive miles until you get to the, the nearest hospital in New London. So there's a healthcare access problem. I believe we need Medicare for all. Or whether there's environmental degradation. You can't have good drinking water in the city because of lead pipes. Well, in Adams County or Kiwani County, you're dealing with the runoff from large-scale farming. So water quality. So I hear these issues again and again. And so that tells me, aha, yes, they would like to say that this state politically is two Wisconsins. There's red Wisconsin, blue Wisconsin. You have these deep red townships. And by the way, I've got quite a few deep red townships in my county, which I've won several times. And there's a way to do this, that I think that there's a lot more that brings us together than separates us than, than divides us. And this is, isn't a bromide. I mean, that's been my experience for 17 years in elective office. It's been, been my experience growing up in a small town in a conservative area as, as a Democrat. And it was my experience running for the U.S. Senate, going to all these different counties, hearing these recurring themes again and again. Now, one thing you're going to hear about this race when the political prognosticators and consultants and the pundits look at it, big question is, what is your lane? What is your lane? How are you going to figure out? I think that's the dumbest question. And and, and, <laughs> and, and and a successful campaign, a successful statewide campaign is going to have multiple lanes. It's going to figure out the way, the trick, the message, the strategy to connect all the pieces together. And so not only is that a successful strategy, that's what you need to do if you get into the U.S. Senate. You know, mm -hmm. you're not going to be like Ron Johnson representing 51 percent of the people that voted for you in, in that particular lack of um, um, election year. You know, you have to figure out how to represent as many people as possible and give a focus, whether it's going to be a small county like Russ County or a larger county like Dane County or Milwaukee County. You need to have someone who can piece it all together to win the election and then to be able to ser serve their constituents. And for any Democrats out there that are not looking just at 2022, but 2028 and beyond that, and how it gets so frustrating, a lot of times you struggle every two or four years to hold on to a seat. Right. That's been my calling card. I get elected. I do, I think, a good job, and I get reelected by 60% plus, and in some cases, I don't even draw an opponent. So I know what I'm doing, too, if I get to Washington. Well, and I love the the unity that you, that you bring just just in your statement about your your example of water how it, mm -hmm. if you want to address water you don't just fix the lead pipes you don't just talk about right. farm runoff but we need more comprehensive conversations right. uh, how how do people respond to that when you're saying you know your problems are their problems and we're all tied together uh, well, I think first it's met with a healthy dose of skepticism hmm. just because we have been told over and over for the last 20 years that this is a purple state, this is a divided state. And so not only is that how a lot of voters look at this because that's what they have been told again and again, but it's also what candidates do and that is embedded in their strategy. And so that just perpetuates this. It becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy and we continue to be a divided state. So part of a successful campaign, I think, is to have a real, true grassroots campaign, not one that's funded by your dad or your spouse, and not being a millionaire or a billionaire, but you have to go on the hustings and you go to every single county and you talk to people. You have listing sessions wide open. You don't have these events where you only invite some people, you only invite a local mayor and this, but you open up to everyone. When I did my listing sessions, I had Democrats, I had Republicans, I had independents. I had people coming to these uh, sessions with Make America Great Again hats. And there's a lot of hmm. reasons why they do that because people in this state, Democrat, Republican, Trump, Biden, Bernie, Hillary, they take their politics seriously. I like to say that Wisconsin, hmm. Wisconsin is the New Hampshire for general elections. It's the one that usually decides who gets into the White House, White House, who controls the U.S. Senate or Congress. But the people here expect expect attention from their candidates, whether it's someone running for city council or even someone running for president, certainly someone from running for, for U.S. Senate. I really appreciate that. And and um, 
it's so interesting to hear that it comes with a an ounce of skepticism at first. What are the mm-hmm. responses yeah. when people see each other in the same space? I don't know how I would feel if I was at an event and someone standing next to me had a Make America Great Again hat on because I have such a strong reaction to it. And that's part of the problem that you're helping to solve is I shouldn't have such a strong reaction to someone just wearing a darn hat standing next to me listening to you. Right. Well, first of all, they don't necessarily sit next to each other in the same room. They might be okay. in the same room. They're not sitting next to each other. Sorry. Sorry. It's a big room. It's a big room. Okay. That makes more sense. Well, I mean, I'm very clear that when, I, when you know, knowing that the environment is pretty hostile and pretty toxic, the political discourse. One thing I learned, too, though, is when people get together, especially if it's just a partisan group, that there's just Democrats that come out, that there is a sense of fear not just reluctance to participate and concern mm. about the state of dem- state of democracy because of the money influence, but they have physical safety concerns. You know, I mean, that is real. So the first thing I made very clear when we have these, um, open, these uh, open sessions is, look, we're going to behave. We're going to respect differences. Everyone's going to have a chance to talk. I will answer all questions. But I'm telling you right now, if things start getting out of control, I'm walking out of here. I want to make sure that everyone is respected because this is serious. We cannot allow, we cannot love, let, allow civil society to spiral out of control. And I think of that, you know, that we need to set aside examples. But that doesn't mean that you disengage from the public. It doesn't mean that you stop having listing sessions and you have like these telephone, um, te- telehomes or, or, or telephone uh, town halls. I don't think Ron Johnson has had a single real true listening session where people are all invited to come in and share their opinions. One thing I'll give credit is Jim Sensenbrenner, the former congressman, right-wing fella, but even when things were really anti-Republican or, of course, when things were really anti-Democratic, he always had listening sessions. He always did, and he never backed down from that. I think that we need more elected officials in that vein, but in particular, like Russ Feingold. And don't forget... This is Russ Feingold's seat. It's also Gaylord Nelson's seat, too. Yeah. So that's not lost on me. This is a pretty big deal. Talk to me about, um, well, let's start with this, your few, your food sovereignty plan that you're just launching. Um, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you to tell us about it. And, and why are you the only person, you know, mm-hmm. having this conversation? Well, I think, unfortunately, I'm not just saying this race and the folks that are in this primary, but you see this too often that you just hear and see this pablum. You know, let's have let's make uh, prescription drugs more affordable. Let's make healthcare more affordable. Let's rebuild our crumbling roads. Okay, that doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean anything. What voters are looking for and what constituents expect is that you deliver or at least you work on trying to accomplish concrete objectives. So I'm very clear what I want to do. Healthcare, Medicare for all. Environment, Green New Deal. Agriculture, food sovereignty. And this is, for whatever reason, I can't speak for my for my um, opponents or people in other races, though, but I wanted to make sure that I had a path-breaking structural changing proposal because we need to do this. We have lost 85% of our family farms in the last 40 years. Guess what? The system doesn't work. Mm -hmm. So it needs to be overhauled. When the system did work, when the system did work, we saw that that farmers were getting a fair price when the market was strong and when the market was weak. They had a system of price parity. We don't have that anymore. We need to have that. If you have a system like that, those farmers will get a fair price. They'll be able to farm. And the sons and daughters who grow up on that farm, who want to farm, but do but they don't have the capital, they don't have the savings to be able to do that, and so they can't farm, they will be able to do that. And look, there are only 100 U.S. Senate seats. No one from our delegation sits on the Agricultural Committee. I will sit on the Agricultural Committee mm-hmm. if I go to the U.S. Senate. It is long past time that we afford this type of change. And I'm going to push the envelope as far as I possibly can before it falls off the table, (laughs) because however many terms, if I get to the U.S. Senate, I want to make sure that I have as much of a lasting impact as possible. And that, you know, whether it's it's the mill workers on Carolyn Drive or the family farmers in Polk County or outside Cambridge, that's what I want to focus on. And I think that um, I can do this. And if I didn't think that I could do this, I wouldn't be running. One of the fun things I get to do um, 
right? My homework for preparing for this show. I get to hang out on your website and look at all your commercials and all the soup. It's super fun. I get, I get, I mean, this is the best, the best homework that anyone could have all of this, uh, looking at all of our great candidates. And one of the things that I learned from you is the impact of the global sort of economy when it comes to Mm -hmm. local farm needs. You gave the example of the, of, of the cost of fertilizer being impacted by Russia. And you talked about a lot of other things too, but you know, talk to me about how, how we really are impacted in the cities, in the, and the rural towns everywhere when we don't have good conversations about what's happening on a global scale. Right. And I think part of that goes right into our economic system. And what what you need to have happen is you need to recognize that the problems in the economy are not just in the city, but they're on the countryside. Mm -hmm. So what I propose in my food sovereignty plan is to enforce, finally enforce antitrust laws and have tough anti-monopoly laws. We have a situation now where there are only two or three seed companies in the world. And if a farmer buys seeds, he can't own them because they have so many patents attached to it. And so they don't, I mean, farmers don't even own their own seeds. And then when it comes you, you to can't help but be belonging to someone else. You can't be independent. I, hmm. Give me my seed back. And then, you know, there's only a handful of fertilizer companies, and a lot of the fertilizer comes from Ukraine and Russia. So not just for political reasons, but a basic function economic system, we have to have more control of our supply chain. I'm not saying that it's going to be possible to reshore every single component of the supply chain. I realize that this is, for better or for worse, a global economy, but how we have surrendered to, how we have passed laws that have implemented globalization. Globalization was not a fait comply. Globalization was a deliberate, a deliberate result of tax cuts for the rich, tax cuts for corporations, bad trade deals that favor corporations over small business and consumers. That's how we got to now. What we can do is we can start doing what we did before, which is enforcing you know, antitrust laws to make sure that there is competition, that there is diversity, and that if there is, God forbid, a war in Europe, or that, um, um, you know, that, that creates um, a global crisis, that we're going to be in a position that we're going to be able to do right for our farmers so that they can continue to survive, make a good product, bring it to market so we can eat. I mean, really basic mm-hmm. things like that. Great mm-hmm. nation. They make things, they produce things, they grow things. We have to remember that when it comes to forming national policy. We're talking right now with Tom Nelson. He's the current Outagamie County executive, former uh, elected uh, to the Wisconsin State Legislature and candidate for United States Senate. Um, Tom, I wanted to ask you about, so those credentials uh, on the executive branch as the county executive in the legislative branch, what are skills that you learned there that you will take uh, to the U.S. Senate? Yeah, there's very few um, U.S. senators that have the kind of local experience. And really, most of the laws that are passed trickle down to local level. Thank you. Know, Hooray, local government. Advanced. Yeah, there you go. Education policy, we have schools. Infrastructure um, allocations, that goes right to local government. A lot of what was passed, the infrastructure bill, right, you know, went to cities and counties. Mm-hmm. We have about $36 million for general operations, and we have millions more that we are eligible for in infrastructure. So when I go to Washington and you start writing infrastructure bills or healthcare bills, whatever it might be, I can say, and I I can be an authority. Hey guys, look, I was I was a county executive as a Democrat and Republican county for 12 years, having done 12 budgets. I know what I'm talking about. We can fashion this legislation in a way that it is as effective as possible, as easy as possible, as helpful as possible for our communities, that we can do our job, do it right. And by the way, good policy is good politics. And if you can deliver for your constituents and something can work, they will support you, they will vote for you. So that is a virtuous cycle as far as, you know, a candidate running for office Mm -hmm. goes. Uh, But that's something that's really different, too. And then I think there's also the component, the practical approach, like how do you get legislation passed in the first place? I served as majority leader for a term, the one, two years that Democrats were completely in charge of the state that lasted for about a half for you know, a hot minute, but we were able to have good Im- immigration reform. We were able to accomplish that. We were able to pass a budget that kept our teachers employed during the Great Recession. We came 
inchingly close to passing a precursor to the Green New Deal. We took on and we beat the payday lenders. One time there was 30 payday lender lobbyists. We took them on and we beat them. It was so fun. So I can take that kind of experience, diversity experience, bring it to Washington, I think, with modicum of experience. That ought, not only will I be effective as a standalone U.S. senator, though, but I will come with some degree of authority and experience that I can win over votes, support not just Democrats, but as well as independents and Republicans. Well, and I also think local elected officials, I spent 16 years on the Dean County Board, and we're responsive. You know, right. you can't run when right. you, there's nowhere to hide. As you talked about, Ron Johnson doesn't have, doesn't meet with the constituents. Your constituents literally are standing next to you when you're in line at the supermarket. You can't right. get away. And there's a level of accountability that you have yes. when you're a local elected official that I don't know if other people quite understand the experience that you come from that. Yeah. 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 And I think, look, I'm, you know, it's a free country. It's a free country. You can run for whatever office you want to, though. But, you know, I mean, this is the U.S. Senate. Okay, this is a pretty big office. I'm taking this pretty serious. I was in elective office for 18 years. I think you should have some experience before you try to do something like this. And not just to do your job and be, and be effective, though. But the other thing, too, is for those folks that are concerned about this seat, if it goes Democratic or Republican, the kind of... Um, Senator, you're going to elect. Democrats have got to get this right. This is for all the marbles. This is not for checking a box on the bucket list. This is not just about impressing your father. This is a really big deal. And I take this very serious. I've been running for office in good years and bad years. And you got to be prepared for the very worst. You got to hope for the best. And my concern is looking at the economic indicators and polls that this does not look like it's going to be a standout Democratic year. So we need to have all hands on deck. And I think what makes sense is to nominate the candidate that has the experience, that has the policy experience, the work experience, and the electoral experience of winning. Because Democrats cannot get this wrong. This is not just Wisconsin's U.S. Senate seat. In those terms, this is America's Senate seat because control of the U.S. Senate goes through right through Wisconsin. How important is that? And talk to us about um, the filibuster. It's so interesting that right. I, I talk with people running for state legislature and I talk to them about, okay, the Republicans are in charge of the state legislature. How do you define success in that and get things done? And here I am preparing to talk to you and all your colleagues running for this office thinking, well, it's the opposite. The Democrats are in charge. But it still feels like, "Mm, no, there's this giant wall. You're still not getting to where you need to go. Is that because of the filibuster? Yeah, it's because of the filibuster. It's because Democrats don't always work well with each other. Um, I experienced that when I was majority leader. It was almost like the Parkinson's rule where air expands the space it's given. So if we were three votes shy or we could spare three votes, there are obviously like three no votes. You got to deal with that. So that's my concern. My concern is that you pick up two seats, but then there's a third mansion slash cinema because that's my experience. I don't really talk about that because I don't want to give ourselves even more headaches, but that's true. Um, but we have to get rid of, rid of the filibuster. And really, quite frankly, it's not a question of do we get rid of the filibuster or not. Filibuster is gone. Okay. You cannot get that toothpaste back in that tube. Okay. It's just a question of two things. One, do Democrats get rid of it and do good things, or do Republicans get rid of it and do some pretty bad things? So when I get to Washington, when I get to Washington, God willing, I will vote to get rid of the filibuster. And then we get rid of the filibuster. We can do some really great things, cool things. We can talk about codifying Roe. We can talk about and act on real gun violence reform. So people like myself, so dads and moms don't have to wonder when they drop off their kid at T-ball or at school, whether or not that's going to be the next place. It's scary. I mean, can you, I mean, is this really free society? Are we really free? When parents worry about dropping off their kids at school to think that the place is going to get shot up, this is unbelievable. So there are real issues that have to be taken on. The only way to do that is to win the Wisconsin seat. I can do it. And getting to Washington, getting rid of the filibuster. Because the filibuster, you know, newsflash, it wasn't in the Constitution. It is a racist rule because of the filibuster that we had civil rights in the 1960s and not the 1940s. We have to learn from history. Get rid of the filibuster. And you think that you're saying you can't put the toothpaste back in the tube. You think the filibuster is going one way or another. It just depends who's in charge one day. Filibuster is long gone. I mean, we'll have a conversation Hmm. in two years. 
Maybe if there's a Senator Nelson or maybe I'll come back on the program again because I'm having so much fun here. And we'll say, gee, you know, <laughs> Democrats had a chance to get rid of the filibuster. We should have done it. Now we're dealing with it. I mean, Wisconsin Democrats, Wisconsin Democrats should know the lesson. I mean, think what Robin Voss and those guys have been doing for the last 11 years. They don't care about process. They don't care about rules. They care about power. They care about advancing their agenda and making rich people even richer. Democrats have got to take the gloves off. We have to understand that these are the rules of engagement. And so when it comes to racist rules like the filibuster that are not good for working families that have hurt this country, you get rid of the rule. You get rid, rid, rid of the rule and you start doing the people's business because that's your job. You touch, and uh, I know we're near the end of the uh, end of the hour, but you touch really quickly on uh, gun control issues. And um, and I am my child uh, at the food cart right now. I'm picking her up once the show is over, right? And I have no idea what is happening at the mall food court. And right, th- the thought that that would have this tinge of fear in the back of my head that my my 12 year old can hang out at the food cart with our friends today. What, what are responses that you think we can actually? Do, do you think the U.S. Senate will actually do something one day? Can it? Well, I don't think they are right now. No. I think, you know, again, you know, uh, the ability for us to get real change in Washington is basically a math problem. We have to get above 50-50. You have to win Wisconsin. You have to. We don't win Wisconsin. We're screwed. It's as simple as that. But I think once you get there, things I support are going to be red flag laws, comprehensive background checks, waiting period, and getting rid of weapons of war. We need an assault. We need to renew we need to renew the assault weapons ban. Okay, we're not going to uncharted territory here. We did this before. And by the way, that was between 1994 and 2004. How many school shootings happened between 1994 and 2004? A lot less than we've had less. in the last 18 years. Hmm. We made a big mistake. Hmm. U.S. made a huge mistake. Democrats and Republicans are to blame for that, especially Tom Daschle. That's a whole other discussion. <laughs> we have to learn from okay. our mistakes, get serious about gun violence reform, and get this job done. I know what I am getting into. I've been doing this for 18 years, a red power state winning again and again and again and again, working with Republicans to get real constructive change done, transformational change. We can do this. Tom, in our final moments here, it's been so fabulous talking with you and, and hearing about your vision and passion uh, for Wisconsin and, and the United States. Thank you for all of that. Mm-hmm. How can people learn more about your campaign and hopefully get to see you along the trail? Sure. Okay. Well, do what you did, Carousel, and go to my website, nelson4wi.com, F-O-R, nelson4wi.com. We've got approximately, what, two and a half, three hours worth of material to go over, position <laughs> There's papers, a lot of releases, great stuff. statements, videos, fun videos. I think we must have like 60 videos or something. It's insane. Or go to um, my Twitter feed. We are very active there, as well as Facebook um, and TikTok, too. Nelson4wi, Nelson4wi. So, and, you know, stay tuned. Look for where we're moving around the state. Um, notices on the Twitter. Notices on our website. We're having a great time. Great time. we got a month and a half left of this yeah. uh, primary. We've been campaigning for almost 20 months. My poor son, George, my six-year-old, doesn't remember a time in his life. <laughs> Who's that US, dad so. of mine? Well, it's been fabulous <laughs> talking with you. Thank you for all the work that you've done. Uh, thank you so much, Tom. Tom Nelson, uh, running for United States Senate for Wisconsin. Thanks for joining us. Good to be on. And a huge thank you to Rochelle for helping produce uh, our show today and getting all the candidates in line. We are going to have two more candidates for next week's show, so I hope everyone can tune in then. Thank you, Teresa, for engineering. Thank you, everyone, for all your great work. You are listening to WORT 89.9 FM Madison. We'll see you again next week, everybody. Straight from the base, deep down, no precision. High crime treason, we broadcast in sedition. Like the Wall Street morning, afternoon edition. Commandeering airwaves from unknown positions. Live and direct, we come and never be recorded. With information that would never be reported. Disregard the mainstream, media distorted. We come and listen and supported. Live and direct, we come and never be recorded. With information that would never be reported. Disregard the mainstream, media distorted. We come and listen. Listen and support it.